0: beautiful, beautiful, beautiful season watching God do amazing things. It's wonderful to hear them sing, isn't it? 're just wonderful to be so blessed like that. Keep them in prayer. I think every one of them almost went into cardiac arrest beforehand. Except maybe Shantae. Um, she's like, what? Am I singing? Alright. Here's what it says in chapter 10, verse 1. Then the and then sorry rented lips. Let's try that one more time. Then Nadav and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took each uh, took his censer and put fire in it and put incense in it and offered profane fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uzziel the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from there before the sanctuary out of the camp. So when they went near, they carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Elizar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die. And wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron and said, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. And that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. And Moses spoke to Aharon and went to Eleazar and Tamar, his sons who were left, Take the grain offering that remains of the offerings made by fire to the Lord and eat it without leaven beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your son's due of the sacrifices made by fire to the Lord, for so I have been commanded. The breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering you shall eat in a clean place, you and your sons, your daughters with you. For they are your due and your son's due, which were given from the sacrifices of peace offerings of the children of Israel. The thigh of the heave offering and the breast of the wave offering they shall bring with the offerings of fat made by fire to offer as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be yours and your sons with you by a statute forever as the Lord has commanded. Then Moses made careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering, and there it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, who were left, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the holy place, in a holy place, since it was most holy, and God has given it to you to bear the guilt of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord? See, its blood was not brought inside the holy place. Indeed, you have, should have eaten it in a holy place as I commanded And Aaron said to Moses, Today this day they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, and such things have befallen me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? So when Moses heard that, he was content. Now do you read that and you go, what? Huh? Yeah, good. It's a good place to start. Why don't you pray with me, please, as we open up the word together. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to open up your scripture and expect you to speak. On this beautiful near winter day, blustery and cool, we're sitting warm in a building. It's a week and a half before Christmas. We're trusting you. We're trusting you to step in and minister to every one of us God you know what we're dealing with you know what things sit on our shoulders you know what things press on our heart you know those things Lord that we feel like we fight and we battle and we struggle you know those areas Lord where we just all we can do is cry out to you And today, Lord, no matter where we're at, you can show yourself perfect and profound and powerful and personal to us now. And in this word, Lord, a very serious message, may our hearts be ready, our eyes be open, our ears be open, and may we we greatly enjoy how you minister to us now in this time. May we truly get it as you lay it before us. So, Lord, please now, Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Immerse me that you would be seen. And do through me what I cannot humanly do. Overcome every weakness in language and culture and the beautiful diversity you've given us here in this room. Now, Lord, get to every one of us. And may we walk walk out of here changed people. Encouraged, challenged, bolstered, strengthened, equipped for every good work. So, Lord, have your way now. We commit every second of this to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the authority. Not me, no man. In Exodus chapters, well, really, if you think about it, Israel was in Egypt until Exodus 12. From the beginning of Exodus. 430 years God delivers them out of Egypt and they take the trip to Mount Sinai by chapter 19 they will be at Mount Sinai they will be there until the middle of Numbers which is the next book after Leviticus Leviticus In chapters 19 and 20, the people prepare and God gives them what we know of as the Ten Commandments. God did not give them the law while they were still in bondage. God gave them the law after they were out of bondage to keep them from going back. He knew that he was not only removing them from a land where they were under the hand of the enemy, but that they would be going into another land where there would be other battles to be fought. A land that's rightly theirs by the promise of God. And unless God set statutes and standards far beyond what they had known before they knew him, They would live life much like they did before and ultimately think that this thing of God was a joke. And He'll do the same with you. The moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, God placed within you His Holy Spirit. If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I'd like to give you that opportunity today. We start out as sinners. As sinners, we stand before a righteous God who punishes all sin. But God, in His perfect love for us, motivated by that love, sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, to die on the cross. And the only one equipped to pay for your sins and mine because He was the only one who never sinned. And that took your and my guilt and died on a cross, just like Scripture had promised so that God could properly punish all of our guilt and yet not have to send us to hell. Jesus, just like Scripture says, was buried and then three days later rose again, proving that not only was the sacrifice enough, but giving us the opportunity of a brand new life. And if you've not accepted that gift, you will have that opportunity today. If you have, then God, at that moment, you said yes. God says you are born again. He didn't just redecorate you, he reinvented you. and He placed his Holy Spirit inside of you and began challenging you from the inside out, cleaning you, changing your priorities. Things that used to destroy you are no longer fun. But if you don't start getting into God's word, You'll only know what isn't fun and not what now is. And God gives the law in Exodus 20. He says, now that I have you away from your bondage, let's keep you there. But it doesn't take long, even as God's giving it to people are breaking them down there. Shortly thereafter, by chapter 25, God will say, now make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among my people. And the rest of the book of Exodus from 25 to 40 will be the blueprints of that. Some specific instructions about what it means to be a priest to operate in that tabernacle. And then the erecting of the tabernacle itself. When God showed up, and it's important to note, when God showed up, upon the mountain to give the Ten Commandments, we read that his appearance was like a smoking torch, or even more so, like a consuming, all-consuming fire. That's what it looked like. The kind of fire that nothing could stand against. When the tabernacle was erected, the glory of God was seen, and when the glory of God was seen, it was seen in such a thick mist that even the priests couldn't work. Everyone had to just sit still and go, Wow! And that's how Exodus ended. They were officially one year out from Egypt. Happy birthday. God speaks from the tabernacle now, having glorified himself there in the tabernacle as it has just been popped up. And he begins to speak what we know as the book of Leviticus, which will take place for about a month. The next book will begin on the first day of the second month of the second year. So it's a month long. We know one week has already taken place. In the first seven chapters, God then gives careful instruction on what the sacrificial system is supposed to look like. Five specific sacrifices. The burnt, (coughs) excuse me, the grain, the peace, the sin, the the trespass offering. And then in eight and nine... He gives careful instructions about how to inaugurate these priests that are now going to operate in the tabernacle. The last thing we saw is that Moses had washed, or I should say he cleansed, he clothed, he crowned and consecrated his older brother, now 84, to be the first Kohen Gadol, high priest, with his sons now following as assistants. And he says, after all of that, he makes the sacrifices that were necessary. And then says, You are now quarantined. You must remain in the tabernacle for one full week. And then you're on the job. Chapter 9 took us to the point where then Aaron had his first day on the job. And that's where we're still at here. It's day one of your job. You're calling to live it out. And on day one, Aaron offers two sacrifices for himself, the sin offering and the burnt offering, the idea of saviorship and of lordship as he shows the Lord God to be both. And then offers four for the people, the sin offering And then the burnt offering, just like himself. And then the peace offering for unity. And then the grain offering to show that even the fruit and increase that you give us, we give back to you. And then he turned around, went into the tabernacle with his brother. And in the last two verses of the last chapter, we read this in verse 23 of chapter 9. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting, And came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw this, they freaked out. Well, what it says is they shouted and fell on their face. But the loose paraphrase is they freaked out. As you probably would too. Remember, this is Aaron's first day on his job. And it's the first high priest we've ever seen in action, except for the priests that we saw in Egypt. In Egypt, it was kind of a free-for-all. In Egypt, the idea of it was, much like the Greek mentality, they reached out until they could find something they thought they connected with out there somewhere. And once they feel like they did, then it was sort of like food to the beggars. Every priest, every person grabbed some form of incense sensor, filled it full of incense, and ran to that one. Imagine if it was that this was a church, and I don't want to, I hate to even paint this picture, where there were idols to all kinds of horrible things, and then there was the one to the living God. And it would be like, they would go around from every one of them until they thought that they finally got something. So if you hadn't eaten in a while, you're going around, and all of a sudden your stomach goes, wah, 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 and you're like, that's the one. I mean, you're looking for anything, right? That's the whole idea. There's a creek in the floor. There's a bird that flies by past the window. That's it, this one. And everyone runs there for that. But the dangerous thing is church can be like that too. You're aware of that, right? We'll run to Toronto so we can laugh. Or we'll run to South Africa so we can wave our hand and people fall over and shake like fish out of water. Or whatever it is. But it's like everyone's like running to the... Well, this is where it is. Let's run there. Oh, let's go over here. This must be it. It's the warrior spirit. Let's all get up and slap each other. Let's all run over here and let's get drunk in the spirit. Whatever that is. It's the same thing. But please hear me in this. This chapter is a whole lot more than just this... Grave moment where God then reveals Himself by accepting the sacrifice that's on the altar, and there are two radical burnings. There is the there is the burning of what happens when the sacrifice is altered, and there is the burning of what happens when it's not. On one side, there is sacrifice done God's way; it's surrender. It ain't about you, it's about him. It ain't about your agenda, it's about his. It ain't about how awesome you are, it's about how great he is. And you do it his way because he told you to. Because he's the Lord. And if he's the boss, he has the right to make the rules. If God decided that every person, and he, does, he hasn't, so I'm not in, in any way encouraging this, but if he said that every person had to shave all of the hair off of their body, every part of it, and no matter where it came from, you know what, I wouldn't argue with him because he's God. You'd say, well, who do you, th-? I mean, the moment you try to look at God, and you call him the Lord and say, who are you to tell me, what are you saying to your creator? So on one side there is this sacrifice done God's way and as it's done God's way God responds by a fire to consume the sacrifice for which everybody flips out falls on their face but clearly God is here and that was a good fire. Then we read this. And this isn't the only time where great, granderous moments are stopped cold dead by cold death. If you remember David when he's bringing the ark back but he's carrying it on a cart instead of the way God had instructed in the book of Exodus. And as the ox stumbles, and Ashon's threshing floor, and Uzzah reaches his hand reaches his hand out to stable the ark, and he's struck down dead. And David's praising God, and he's twirling and whirling and dancing, and music's happening. But nothing stops a praise service like someone dying. Just like you, you come in. And people are praising God. And there's bound to be someone or some of us here or whatever where it's like you hear about the freedom and you hear about the victory and you hear about the joy and all that, but you're just not connecting with that right now. And you feel like you're the dead one in the camp. This message is called When God Burns. And understand if we lived over on this side where the sacrifice was done His way, this wouldn't have to happen. But unfortunately, I'm way too pig-headed. I don't know about you, but I live more on this camp than that one. I live on the camp where God's got to, he's got to send fire out, and it's never pleasant. And it's certainly startling. I mean, when God responds in a great way, it's still startling, isn't it? You're like, wow, I didn't realize he would appear like that today. We read about two sons here. There's four by the time this chapter is done. The first two are named the Nadav and the Bihu. Can you say Nadav? Nadav means liberal. I think that's an interesting name considering. And Bihu, Abba means father. Hu means him. Literally, his name is, he's my dad. Now I don't know who names their kid, he's my dad, but just the same. These are the, apparently the two older brothers, of or the older sons of Arun. Aron, by the way, means light bearer. And, and, and all of a sudden they come, and what we read here is that they offer profane fire. Now, people have taken this in a lot of places. The word profane, by the way, is the word zur. Try that word. Zur. Nice, nice. Zur, by the way, means foreign. Like you'd say if you are Greek. That's the word for stranger. Matter of fact, if you go to Athens and you stay in a hotel, it's called xanothio, like Zanas means stranger. Thachiu means box. A hotel is literally a stranger box. There you go. Tells you what you think about that. But these two sons, now what they did, if you think about it, was exactly what they did in Egypt. God responds by fire and they go, there he is. And they grab their incense sensors and they start flocking to the situation just like they had seen in Egypt. And all of a sudden, Everything changes. And it was just like that, right? We didn't see it coming. And you even saw it. Some of you are like, "Uh uh-oh, I know where this is going. Fire came out, and your kids are dead. I guarantee you that morning, remember, Aaron, these are boys who stayed in the tabernacle for the last week. Can I remind you of that? Aaron and his family stayed in the tabernacle for an entire week before they started. This is Aaron's first day on the job how do you like that talk about occupational hazard Aaron steps into the situation and these boys run out and God had already shown a consuming fire in Exodus 24 the sight of the glory of the Lord was like consuming fire and Deuteronomy will be, we'll be reminded in two forty two i 'm sorry four twenty four that our God is a consuming fire, and it 'll be reiterated what 's my what 's going on hebrews twelve twenty nine will be reiterated, and the whole idea of it 's quite simple god 's jealous and he doesn 't have a problem responding by fire, and he is an all consuming fire. Listen, there is nothing that you have that cannot be burned up, that you possess, that you think you hold on to. And then God has to speak here. Now understand, when God responded in this way, the first thing he makes clear is who he is. Did you notice that? And you need to recognize when God burns, you better get back to who he is. The problem is, and we'll see this here in a moment, when God burns, I'll tell you what that looks like. Now I'm not telling you every hard situation in your life is God doing this. But I am telling you that there are situations in life where God will force something out of your hands. And he's much stronger than you. You'll never win. But what I've learned is there are times where God will remove something temporarily, and there are times where God's just going to burn it. You know what that means? When you burn something, you can't get it back. You're not going to assemble the carbon, blow something back into it, and get it back. There are times when the Lord says, this is done. It's over and you're like, no, 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 I can keep this thing going and God's like, do I have to burn this? Now understand in this situation God says, look, there's two things you better know about me One is, I'm holy and you better recognize that and the other is that I will be glorified among the people In other words, they're going to see me for who I really am That's the idea here Now understand, this idea of being holy it's part of the paradox and here's the beauty, beloved, please hear me in this that God always sets before us things that are unreconcilable, and he doesn't tell us to reconcile them. He tells us to believe that he's bigger than our math. When people want to say, well, I believe God's totally in control, and some say, I believe I'm a free willie. I believe God's god you know, man has a free choice, how do you reconcile the two? I'm like, God never told me to. He's big enough to make both happen. Well, how do you logic that? God never told me I had to. He told me not to lean on my own understanding, but rather acknowledge him. And it drives people mental because they want to shove you in a camp and they're like, how can you play both camps? I'm like, I'm in neither. How's that? Well, here's one. God's so holy, nothing has a right to stand before him. And yet the perfect, most sinful man like myself or you could stand before him in love because of what God has done. How does a perfectly holy God become approachable? Think about that. Dwelling in inapproachable light but is approachable. It doesn't make sense until you bring Jesus into the picture. And I've learned he's the decoder key for all texts. So please hear me in this. God says, I'm going to be holy. The word holy for what it's worth, and here's just a little bit of trivial information. 587 times in the New King James, the word holy will be mentioned. Of that, do you know which book has the word more than any other? This one. The book of Leviticus literally mentions the word holy. Holy. 17% of all of the times in the entire Bible. You realize that? You realize if you added all the other times in the Torah alone, it will still not be as many as just simply the book of Leviticus. That tells you something. The first time is mentioned holy, by the way, it was holy ground, if you remember. And that was God speaking to Moses in Exodus 3.5. Take off your sandals in the desert, in the hot, hot sun, because this is holy ground. I'd think I've gone. I've lost it. The last time, by the way, for what it's worth, is God's holy city in Revelation 22, where we live forever. Interesting, it starts and ends with holy ground holy by the way for what it's worth and he has all kinds of things he calls holy from the ground to the place the cities and habitations and hills to the tabernacle and the items in it to the temple the heaven throne his throne holy convocations meetings are holy certain ones set apart for him sabbath is supposed to be holy the nation his nation his people his garments that he's made for the priests his gifts his food his oil notice the his part that's the whole point of the holy all of the incense that's to him He's a holy God. His name is holy. He's called the Holy One 57 times, more than half in Isaiah alone. His Holy Spirit, His holy arm saves us. And I've learned in Scripture, He has sort of, I don't want to say three levels, but there is this kind of, He states things, by the way, for instance, that are holy. For which, what it's worth. The term holy in Leviticus, to give you an idea, is used 94 times of those 94 13 uh, 13 of those times will be called most holy hear the difference for a moment and I'll tell you the third God says this about something holy if something is declared as holy and something unclean touches it it has to go and get holy again you have to re-consecrate it that's kind of the idea so in regards to that which is holy in practice something that's called holy has an influence but seems like it actually can be influenced upon and that becomes the problem Does that make sense? You can get dirty. That which is called most holy says whatever touches something most holy must become holy. Oddly enough, if this was considered most holy and something touches it, it actually becomes holy. That is why, by by the way, a guilty man would run to the altar and put his hands on the horns of the altar because they're most holy and the idea of it is that most holy declares them holy. That's the idea. It's supposed to have influence. Does that make sense? The difference between what is holy and most holy is the power of influence. It's interesting, what is considered holy represents the presence of God, but what is considered most holy experiences the presence of God. Very different. And I get the idea of influence. Are we considering ourselves, let's be holy in the sense of let's kind of represent God. Yeah, I'm represent, D-O-D, represent. Is that really what we want to do? and in the end of it all we go onto the world and we're intimidated and it's called dark and we think it's dark after all because after all it's a dark place and oh it's scary and Satan's out there and he's just set up shop and he's got all kinds of, I mean look at Camden it looks you know and you get, is that where you go? because you think well I'm representing God and I'm sent out as an ambassador for God and I'm going to go run back at the end of the day with my tail between my legs and go it's so big and scary or do I walk out with him? Because we read in John chapter 1 that darkness could not overcome the light. That light came into the world and the darkness literally couldn't get even a hand on it. And then Jesus turns and says, you're the light of the world. And why? Because God lives in you. If you've accepted Christ, he lives in you. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So someone says, isn't that a dark place? I'm like, not when I'm there. And it isn't because I think I'm awesome. It's because I think who lives in me is. How could it possibly be dark when the light of the universe lives inside of me? Unless I'm covering him up. And all of a sudden I realize the influence now changes because I'm experiencing the presence of God instead of just trying to represent. It isn't like I leave the house in the morning and go, bye God, I love you, I'll see you at the end of the day. I'm going to go do stuff for you. But we can think that way, but that's not what scripture says. I'd rather wake up next to him and look and go, hey, put me on today, let's go do stuff. And watch what he does. But there's something even more profound than that, that's more holy than that, How could something be more holy than most holy? Well, twice in Scripture there's something listed even more so. The complete and absolute perfect holy. And how do we know it? Because it's mentioned three times. It's mentioned twice in Scripture, but the term is holy, holy, holy. Mentioned in the book of Isaiah at the throne of God and then mentioned in the book of Revelation at the throne of God. When all of the creatures that dwell around the throne all say, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonai Elohim Zevaot, Just like we say holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is coming. Kind of a fun thought, isn't it? God says, look it, you need to recognize I am not like anything you've ever known. I'm not like your Egyptian gods. I'm not like the Amalekite gods. I am not like, and all those other gods cost stuff. You go to the Amalekite God. You have to sacrifice your children. You took a, a bronze idol. You set it on fire until it turned red with the heat, and then you threw your baby on that thing. That was the price you paid for that pleasure that you thought that that idol granted you. He's like, I'm nothing like that. The gods in Egypt demanded human sacrifice. They demanded you bleed demanded so many other things in some cases the things that were demanded because that's the case is that who pays the bill it's like i'm not like the gods of egypt and i'm not like the gods you make up so when someone says come on we all serve the same god i'm like well i'm going to just be rude and tell you the truth and that is you all serve the same god because you're still trying to pay the bill My God loved me so much, he died for me on a cross. What did your God do for you? Well, that's intolerant. Actually, that's loving, because I'd rather you know Jesus. Are you trying to convert everyone? Yes, that's the point. I'm so glad you figured that out. And I make no apologies of it. I think we should apologize for not trying to convert people. If we really believe Jesus is the only way, why aren't we trying to convert everyone? We're afraid someone's going to be upset. Satan's going to be very upset about it, but get over it. He lost. Maybe he doesn't read the memo, but he lost. My God beat him with a stick, a big one. And he took over. Here's the problem. There are times in our life after I've given my life to Christ, I've grabbed a hold of things that do not belong to him, and they're not his way at all. And I knew it, and I numb my heart to it, I deafen my ears to it, and I know somehow God's just going to sort of work this out, this thing out, anyways. And sometimes God just goes bam, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, really? And I'm stuck holding ashes. God says, now what are you going to do? Listen. First thing we read here, and by the way, part of this is how not to die when God burns. That would be good, right? It's the loss of a relationship. Sometimes it's a loss of a job, sometimes it's a loss of health. Sometimes it's just a complete change of your entire life. He pulls you out of everything you knew. And and, I mean, how far does God have to burn? Listen, in verse 4, God calls then two guys that happen to be then, if you think about it, Moses' cousins. One guy's name is Who is What God Is? That's the Nimishael. And the other one is a God who hides or reserves. And that's El He's the son of a guy whose name is Strength of God, Utziel, the uncle of Aaron. And he said to them, Come now, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. I don't know if you realize this, but God did not burn their clothes. Now, I don't know about you, who wants to put on those clothes after that guy got fried in them? Any of you? And they're probably warm. But I do realize something from this. When God burns, He leaves no collateral damage. He burns. He is precise. He doesn't burn more than He has to. When God has to take away, God takes away what He has to. He doesn't go, Oops, okay, maybe I didn't need to take that too. He's precise in His burning. He didn't even burn the clothes. I mean, you grab the clothes and what you were grabbing, you were pulling out was clothes with a pile of ashes. Think about that. To this day, by the way, when you talk about the high priest being in the Holy of Holies, the Kaddish Kaddishim, and if they feel like he hasn't done the sacrifice right, and you know about how he'd ring a bell and he'd drop down dead and they pull the rope out. Once they get him out to the holy place, they actually wrap him up in his own clothes and carry him out. And this is the text they use for that, for what it's worth. Now, God told us this, listen, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says there's only one foundation that really could be laid and that's Jesus Christ. If that foundation is not laid for you, Christian, you might want to check exactly what house there is. God will have to go beyond it down to the foundation. But let's say the foundation is Jesus. But then it says, let each one be careful how he builds. It's like God gives every one of you a Heaven's Depot building cart. And with that, you can pick your building materials. Gold, silver, and precious stones. That's one option. Or hay, wood, and stubble on the other. He says, let each one be careful how he builds because each will be tested by fire. Precious stones, gold, and silver do not fear the, the, the fire. It actually purifies it. Oh, but fire is fairly dangerous, wouldn't you think, to hay, wood, and stubble? I mean, stubble's the kindling. Hay is what catches it strong. And then the wood burns. And when you're done, you're done with nothing. And the whole point is, is that God knows how to burn. He knows how to burn what is needed, but He doesn't burn the stones. He only burns the wood. So Moses said then to Aaron and to Eleazar and Itamar, his sons. Now these names, by the way, mean the protector. Well, God, our help. That's Eleazar. And the second literally is the coast of a palm tree. You can name your son that if you like. Maybe he had a lot of hair. He was growing Doesn't this sound rough? Do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon you. But let your brethren the whole house of Israel bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. Three times he's going to say this or else you'll die. And that's pretty serious. And I I kind of guess the idea here you probably believed he meant business since two kids just died in front of you. You see what I'm saying? What's he saying? I mean the term literally is do not uncover your shaking or expose your shaking or tear your clothes. Listen. This is what he said, Aaron. Do not bewail the burnt. Bewail the burning. There's a radical difference. The, the burnt is what you're lo- what you've lost. So all of a sudden you've had to let it go, and your hands are free now. And all you can think about is how God took that job from you, that person from you, how all of a sudden that thing that you thought was so important now was not in your life like it used to be. And all you want to think about is the burnt. I said, you should bewail the fact that God had to burn it all. Does that make sense? Because the reason God had to burn was that your heart was so hard it was the only thing left to do. In other words, a burning that God does is an intervention into your life. An intervention because you were so hard you had to do that. Now, am I the only one in the room that can honestly say God's had to do that too? Where God's like, you know what? Out of love for you, I'm going to fry this before you have a chance to get killed from it. And he goes, please, please stop pining over the burnt. Pine over the fact that God had to burn it all. Because in a moment like that, you know what will happen if you pine over the burnt? You'll get angry at God, the one who just saved your life and you don't even see it. If you pine over the burning, it may breed repentance and say, God, please don't ever let me get to this place again. Hey, David, you know the story. He's supposed to be in battle because it says it's the spring, it's the time when the kings go to battle. But David's really not going to go to battle because he's got other guys to do that now. So David instead hangs out in his palace, which, by the way, is always the most dangerous place for David. David was so much safer on the battlefield with the Lord than he'll ever be locked up in his house by himself, or even worse now. And David will then. He will go out and step out on his balcony. And by the way, there's a balcony that faces the house of the Lord. The tabernacle was in his front yard. But that's not the one he's looking at now. He's out the back window because out the back window is where his guards are. And he sees a woman bathing. She's no hussy. She would have thought that the only person who could have possibly seen her is the king. And he's got to be in battle, right? And he says, get her. And it says he tells his servants, he says, get her for me. And they get her. And he sleeps with her. And she becomes pregnant. And he tries to cover it up. He tries to go and he tries to get her husband, and her husband comes back and he will not sleep with his wife. He's like, these guys are in battle. How could I sleep with my wife? And of course, you'd think David's like, well, I, I did, you know. And you know, that's just not good. And David's now got a bigger problem on his hand because he's got a really noble guy who, by the way, is um, his one of his bodyguards, which makes it worse. And David ultimately sends the guy, and the guy is so faithful as a servant, he carries his own death letter back to the to battle, doesn't read it, doesn't sniff around it, doesn't not deliver it. He hands it over, and imagine, he's handing his execution papers to the, the commander of the army, who's then it's like, hey, get to the heat of the battle, step back, let this guy get drilled and get this thing over with. And then, he dies, and now this poor girl's a widower, this poor pregnant woman's a widower, and how benevolent for David to step in and to take this woman under his wing. Oh, but God was so unpleased. But you know what David said in the Psalms? When I kept silent, my bones grew old. My vitality was like the drought of summer. He's like, you know, at that point, you don't get away with it when you erode to nothing. And some people, that will be what happens. It tells us in the book of Proverbs that whoever seeks to cover their sin will never prosper. But he who forsakes it and confesses it, well, that person will find mercy. So hear me. God now speaks and he says He says, look at Can you get to the point where you'll actually grieve that God had to step in and burn like this in the first place? Because God doesn't want competition. How could you possibly trade up when God is what you're dishing off? That's our first thing. It's, can I just say the first of these is simply this get sane. Get back to the place where you realize the most important thing in life is God and nothing should be traded for that. Nothing should be traded for that. Because I'll be honest, you trade God for anything, that is insanity in action. And then you tell everyone God's all you need, but you're not living it? How does that play out? He says, don't do that, because if you do that, you'll die. Second thing, verse 7. Do not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting lest you die. For the anointing of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of the Lord. The second thing after get sane is get safe. You know, it's so when something like that happens and things get heavy like that, the easiest thing to do is to run. The easiest thing to do is to try to get away and not have anything to do with the house of the Lord and not have anything to do with his people. Because after all, who wants to see you at a point like that when you're in need? You know what the most amazing thing is? God's actually called us to minister to each other. And a person in need is supposed to be a great opportunity for people to be able to show the love of Christ. You are robbing people. You are robbing people of the opportunity of letting God use them to minister to you. And he's like, don't you dare leave the house of the Lord now. Yeah, God did burn. And you have suffered loss. I can't. I won't deny that. It was loss. But don't go and hide now. It will be your death. Does that make sense? Get sane and get safe. Then he says in verse 8, Then the Lord said, spoke to Aaron, saying, And notice, by the way, Moses had told him, and Moses had told him, and now the Lord speaks directly to Aaron. Do you see that? And he says, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You nor know your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting or you'll die. Notice it doesn't say, don't just be drunk. He says, I don't, want it, I don't want it on your breath. I don't want any. He says, I don't want you touching it and then going into the house of the Lord. And he tells us why here. Hey, now look at If you think, well, that's old fashioned. Decide for yourself what benefit it would be to have a couple brews and then pop into church. How much more to go to church and have a brew there? This is what God says. I don't want this near you. And here's the reason. We get intoxicated to escape. We get intoxicated to get away. We get intoxicated to avoid. We get intoxicated to stop thinking. And God says, I want your mind. I want you to be able to confront those problems and watch me beat them. And if you're not sober... You'll never see how I do what I want to do with you. And he says this. If that's the case, it will be a statute forever, by the way. And a statute forever kind of means forever. You kind of got that right. It says that, number one, verse 10, it says that you would distinguish between the holy and holy, clean and unclean. Hey, you start taking a few. It's amazing how all of a sudden that which seems ungodly doesn't look so ungodly anymore. And that which seems godly doesn't look so great anymore. And then you can teach the children of Israel all the statutes in which the Lord has spoken to them the hand of Moses. Look it. We get sane. We get safe. And then we get sober. You know, I've learned this sin is intoxicating. Have you learned that? Because if you are going to do that which makes you stupid, then you're intoxicated. All intoxicated means, remember, is that you've put toxins in you. Toxins poison. You've poisoned yourself. That's what it means. To be intoxicated means you've poisoned yourself. That's what the word means. The slang's worse. And here you seem look at Don't do this. Why would you need this? If God really is enough, why would we have to get lit up before we came here? But it gives you a little hint of maybe what was going on with these two boys that God just fried. You wonder if that's what it was? Now look at almost every other religion in the world at the time involved drugs and alcohol. Do you know that you can actually find hieroglyphics, and I challenge you, look at it on Google, you'll find them, where there is beer mentioned and wine mentioned. For instance, in Egypt, written on cave paintings, on wall paintings, and on those wall reliefs, there is actually one I have of this girl, and it has three, like, projectile, like, trajectories, and she's, like, vomiting, and underneath it, it says, where can I go that I may have another drink? And then it says Smirnoff. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know. oh, okay, come on. Let's be honest, right? You're. In, how many of you kind of go, well, at least that's honest advertising. You're in the underground, you look, and there's like the serpent wrapped around the bottle. And you're like, wow, at least they're honest and they're advertising. Do you know that the word for witchcraft is the word phanomachia in the Greek? The word from which we get Pharmacy? The way that they practiced witchcraft was to get into an altered state. It was required because after all, doesn't it look magical when everyone's dropped a couple hits of LSD and a wall start melting and they're like, check out the power I have. You just got intoxicated. Yeah, it's funny how that works. It's like, there's no room for that. Is that really what you want? How are you going to distinguish? We come in here because I want to know good from bad. I want to know what's holy from what God doesn't approve of. I don't need that. I remember, man, I grew up drinking. I'm not the kind of person that's any kind of stranger, man. I, I carried a fifth of vodka with me to school when I was 11. I'd sneak it into class. That's what got me through school. It's amazing I ever graduated from year to year. I think I did. I'm just kidding. I was barely there. But you can't I me. Mean, you don't know anything. I remember the first time that I thought I had a zit. I knew it because of a girl named Debbie McCluskey. So, you know, we got that kind of clear stuff, right? Had a few drinks in the morning. And I went, you know, you kind of like that. And I just kind of went AWOL all over my face, just kind of touching it with all these spots of this stuff that's supposed to take away zits, so just in case it decided it was going to go somewhere else. It was going to be covered in this stuff. It was going to meet its doom. The problem was, because I had drank so much, I forgot to wash it off and then went to school looking like Pippi Longstocking, right? I mean, I looked like I had Hershey Kisses all over my face. Finally, by God's grace, it was Debbie McCluskey that went, Hey, you're like stupid. You got something all over your face. I'm like, what? She goes, go to the bathroom. I kind of looked and I realized, whoa, did I really do that? That's the problem. I think I was 12, but I'm not bitter. Here's the point that when God starts to burn, there are some things that need to start changing. I mean, obviously, God has brought about, he has forced radical change. That's what's happening here. And with that then, God's like, look, you need to get back to sanity. And part of getting back to sanity is to go back to realize that the biggest loss is God. Nothing else is a bigger loss than him. And if that's the case, stop bewailing what it is you think you're losing and be more concerned about the fact that God would have to step in like that. Hey, if God can move with a whisper, he, then he'll never shout. But when he shouts, it's never pretty. And once I go from trying to get sane, then it's like, get safe. Make sure that you don't hide off and try to invent this thing yourself. It's like, go and make sure you're around people who love the Lord and will challenge you to not make stupid choices in a moment like this. Get safe. And then, get sober. It is amazing once you do sober up, you realize how stupid some of the choices you thought sounded so good the night before were. And there's one more. The rest of the chapter, he says, and by the way, can I just say this? I've still reserved those things, that sin offering, there's that peace, and then there's the praise offering. It's like he gets, he goes like, I want to get you back to praising again. And there's this wave offering, and there's this heave offering. A wave offering, you're grabbing a piece, and you're going, whoa, to God. And it's this issue of surrender, and you're like doing smoke signals, and you're like, God, I just want to tell you. I want to give it all back to you. I want to give it all back to you. I want to give it all back to you. And you almost look like one of those things in Chinatown. You ever see those cats? They're kind of like that, but they're doing it on both sides, right? And they're like, you know. It's like, and you walk by, high five, high five, high five, high five. Anyways, they don't think it's funny either. Anyway, so... Um, and you're just like, Lord, I just, I just want to give it up to you. I just want to give it up to you. I just want to give it to you. And God goes, Lord, look, I don't want to feed you in this too. I want you to get solid. And please hear me. There gets a point where we can, we can come into it. Here's the danger. If we come in and what we just want is to suck off of other people, throw our sob story and make sure that everybody gives, gives us a shoulder to cry on. But in the end of it all, what we're going to do is, I guarantee you, in a moment like that, we will not bewail the burning. We'll bewail the burnt. Does that make sense? We'll come in a room like this and say, let me tell you what I just lost. And we start listing off all of the burnt and not the fact that God had to step in. If we're going to love each other, we'll say, did God have to burn that? Because if God had to step in on that fool, you're looking in the wrong place. You are not in the heal. You're not in the road to healing. You're in the road, actually, to repeating the problem, not to recovery. You're like, that's not what I want. That's not what I have for you. So please hear me as we wrap this up. He says, No, but I've still reserved the sacrifices. Aaron, your other two sons, these sacrifices are still for you. And I want you to get solid now. Get back to feasting on the word. Get back to that. And then get back to praising to that place where what I've provided for you... Listen, listen. What I've provided for you should be enough. And he's like, I've still provided for you from my own sacrifice. And God's like, because it's my sacrifice, I'm going to give you this so that you can have it. And here's the thing. You know this. When we focus on what we're losing, we will not see what we still have. And it's crazy because we will actually hurt people in moments like that. I've often said, love makes you silly, but loss makes you stupid. When I was first married... Many, many years ago now uh, twenty four years ago uh, we were lived in Huntington Beach, California. We lived in this um, sort of apartment complex and there is uh, the the garages were on the back side of us, and there was a there was a, an apartment sort of across from us in this little alleyway. And the girl that lived there was a yeller man. She was a screamer, and the guy was a grumper. He was like, it kind of sounded like Jeffrey. You know, imagine, um, imagine, imagine like Jeffrey married somebody like Greek without due respect. You know, and it's like, and she's like, and he's like, and you couldn't hear what they were saying, right? You could only hear kind of the sort of like Charlie Brown, right? You know, and and it was like, but the him is, is that he would leave every day and she would chase him around and yell at him all the way to the car until, because the car was the garage backed up to our particular apartment. So it was like nah, 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 nah. And the car would drive off. That was sort of the routine each day. He had finally had enough. And as he, as he had had enough, he was leaving. Now, we were trying to reach out to this poor gal and she would not have it. He was always gone by that point. And, and as he was leaving, he was like grabbing his last couple things and she was out. She was so panicking. And there he was, and he had a VCR. If you guys don't know what that is, think of it as an Xbox that used to play movies. But, (laughs) I know they play movies now, but, and, and she was in, she was like in a pair of high heels on the pavement and he was grabbing this thing, he was pulling it, and she was sliding, right? (laughs) he was dragging her with it and and as she's doing it she finally screams she goes please you can't leave you're all I have and I can and as broad as day I can still see it because there it was right in front of our window and just in between them underneath the VCR was this little boy that was clearly theirs but what would it be like to be that boy and hear your mom say that to the man you're all I have and the boy's like hello who am I Man, we just started praying for that little boy. God, please save him from this. But how could you say that when it's the Lord? Could you imagine putting the Lord under that VCR? Please, you can't take that person out of my life. I'll be, lo- I'll be lonely. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be alone. And Jesus says, I tied to be with you. How could you say that? But you can't take this thing away. You can't take that job away. You can't do You don't understand. My whole life depends on This is my life. God's like, it is? You're mine. And you're taking away my life if you're my life. It's like my whole life revolves around you. Your life revolves around that. Maybe for a moment you know how I feel because of this. He says, please. Please. Let me feed you again. Let me just give you, so you know that I do, I'll do. i give you everything you need, but I won't give you everything you want because what you want often is to run from me and I won't give you that. So you'll have to go elsewhere to get it. And if I have to take that away, it's not because I'm being mean, it's actually because I love you. The chapter ends with this weird conversation, doesn't it? Because all of a sudden, Moses starts looking around and he notices that the goat that was the sin offering, the last two verses, the goat of, this, the, of that sin offering was like totally burnt up. No one was eating any of it. And I wonder if it was because Moses was hungry, <laughs> you know, because part of it is he gets to eat it too, right? So, I mean, he's like kind of looking around, and going, hey, where's my goat, right? And it's all burned up. And he's like, oh, are you kidding me? I could see my daughter doing this, you know? Oh, what? This was barbecue. How could you leave? How could you throw that away? And he's, his response is almost like, hey, so look at, look, look at this, look at this response, because you kind of almost go, what, what exactly, what does this mean? Because the funny thing is, it worked, right? Because then the end of it, Moses is like, all right. In verse 19, it says, Look, this day we have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord, as such things, and and such things have befallen me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? When Moses heard this he's like oh okay and if you were even standing there you're probably like what? how did that work? is that a brother thing? but understand what, what Aaron is saying he's going we first had to offer an offering for ourselves for our family an offering that said here we're sinners take the sin and now here's our surrender take our surrender then we offered for the people but we had to make sure we were right first to this day, anytime they had anything that they speak about, that's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the priest had to make sure he made a sacrifice for himself that was acceptable first. Because if his sacrifice wasn't acceptable, then the other one wouldn't be beyond that. And he goes, look, it. We started by making one for ourselves, and then we made this one. But clearly, the one we made for ourselves wasn't for real, anyways. Or look at what happened to our kids. He goes, really, do you think I can take benefit from the second one of these when the first one wasn't even right? He's like, look what's befallen us today. I mean, this could be Aaron just saying, it's been a hard day, I'm really not hungry. But I kind of get the idea there's a little bit more because the whole point of this is God being holy. And he's like, look it. If the first sacrifice, if I'm not right, how is any other sacrifice going to be right that comes from me? How can I benefit from another sacrifice when the most important one isn't right? Does that make sense? Hear that. Because that was the problem that starts the burning, isn't it? That the first sacrifice becomes inconsequential so you can do the others. And you can still go at church and do great things and look like super Christian and you can fool me and others. But if that first sacrifice isn't right, the one where you deal with who you are as a sinner before God, that surrender that belongs to God in the first part, then all the rest is going to be meaningless. So hear me as we go to prayer. And I know this is heavy, but it needs to be. I mean, how can we take this lightly? Do we want to see any of us die? I mean, I'm not just talking about God fry us right out of the the pews. Because you watch it in other ways that even hurts more, perhaps. It's the weeds that choke out the life so it's a slow death. You know? And it's the cares and the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth. And you watch the person get choked to death in front of you. You watch the person who really doesn't grow roots because, to be honest, it's not about having a deep Christianity, a good good, tight walk with the Lord. It's about the thin layer of actions that look like you're okay. And then you frizzle and die when persecution comes because of the Word. I'm so tired of watching people that I love drip off like that please don't tell me it's your job or it's a girl because if you're willing somehow to trade God for that those roots aren't as deep as you think they are please hear me and it happens to every one of us every one of us will have that choice to make stupid choices to make God to prove that God really isn't what we say he is in our life when we sing What if that changed today? Uh, Let me remind you, this whole thing started with God starting a fire that was a good one before this one. The one where we actually threw everything down there and said, this is, we're yours. That was the beginning when we did it His way, where He was Savior and Lord and the fire came down and consumed the sacrifice. Can I just say, He's either going to consume the sacrifice or He's going to consume the competition it's just which one you want to choose if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ I'd like to give you that opportunity but please understand my God is holy but he is so holy that when you touch him when you get to him he makes you holy and he makes you his but if you are a Christian here And you're telling God that there's no area or there's some area he can't touch. Your identity, your choice, your preferences, your whatever, your priorities, your dreams, whatever. Well, that may be the first thing on his agenda to burn. But please understand, that's not because he's mean. It's because he loves you. And he just doesn't. There's no room for three. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this text. I thank you, Lord, for what you've done in it. But Lord, I recognize in this that there's a sobering, a very sobering element to this. Because there are even people that aren't in this room today that not that long ago looked like they were so on fire for you. I know some have fallen into their sin again. And drugs, they've, they've jumped back into the bondage some of Arabesque and done this little dance away and somehow in it they'll tell others that they're the victim not of church but of you that the world got on top of them and it can if we stop holding on to you the way we should and pursue you like we should I know you'll never let us go and you'll always be with us. But Lord, I don't want anything in my life in competition. My heart's not big enough to be totally devoted to more than one thing. But if I'm totally devoted to you, I can love my wife and children the way I should because you do it through me. Everything can be found in you that I need. And then you make me the person that I dreamt of being but never thought was possible. And I pray for every believer here, everyone who makes claim to you Jesus is Lord and Savior today, that we would find ourselves in the first camp of total surrender. And it be if to be in the camp of total surrender, we give you permission to burn anything out of our life that doesn't that doesn't belong. Nothing is held back from you. restructure, we frame relocate, do whatever you need to do, but make us completely right with you. Where our heart skips a beat again when we hear the name of Jesus. Where our life is so consumed with the beautiful abandon from this world into your arms that all we can do is praise you. That it end up with this beautiful heave offering and being solid. So Lord, I pray for those that are yours you would get them, Lord, and if they've been in that place where they're in burning right now or in the queue for it, please, Lord, get us sane, get us safe, get us sober, and get us solid again in you where we end up again in the state of overflow, praising you simply because you're good. But as we close this, Lord, if there be any in this, within the sound of this voice who have not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, but today they know they need to. And today needs to be their day to say yes. That you would so love them that you would send Jesus to pay for their sins. And if that's you today, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I ask you to listen. And if you agree at the end, I ask you to say amen. What you are saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let the prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. And I believe you punish all sin. But I believe that you sent Jesus out of the motivation of your love. You sent Jesus to die on the cross for me so that all my sins could be punished on him instead of me. And that he died just like scripture promised. Was buried in and just like scripture promised, he rose again. And so I confess Jesus as my Savior, allowing him to pay for all of my wrong. I confess him as my ransom, as the payment for my sins. And I confess him as my Lord, and now the, the one who has the right to my life from this point forward. Do with me as you wish, but make me yours completely, I pray. I want to be most holy even as you call me to. So here I am. I am yours. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.